The first reading is from um, Mark's Gospel, and it's chapter 8, verses 1 to 5. So Mark's Gospel, chapter 8, verses 1 to 5. About this time, another large crowd had gathered, and the people ran out of food again. Jesus called his disciples and told them, I feel sorry for these people. They've been here with me for three days, and they have nothing left to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will faint along the way, for some of them have come a long distance. His disciples replied, And how are we supposed to find enough food? to feed them out here in the wilderness. Jesus answered, How much bread do you have? This is the word of the Lord. The the second reading is from 2 Kings, chapter 4, verses 1 to 7, and that's on page 370. 2 Kings 4, beginning at verse 1. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord, but now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Elisha replied to her, How can I help you? Tell me, What do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. Elisha said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her and she kept on pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, Bring me another one. But he replied, There's not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God, and he said, Go, sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. Thank you very much, Reverend Ken and Tim. Appreciate I love your church. Really enjoyed, came in, got prayed for. Presence of God was amazing. Come in here, nice lot of laughter. People comfortable with one another, loving Jesus. Salt and light in their community. Sounds like a good place to be. Uh, God bless you and protect you as you serve him together. What was the very last thing that Jesus said to his disciples before he was taken up into, in a cloud to be with his father? Discuss amongst yourselves, no Freddos for the right answer.
Miss. Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Two very simple observations from this scripture this morning. Jesus always planned for his church to be global, witnessing locally, regionally, nationally, and internationally. Secondly, there ain't much point in going unless we go in the power of the Holy Spirit. If we had time, we could do a full biblical rationale for cross-cultural mission from Genesis through to Revelation. It's very clear to me that God always planned that his people should cross cultures to represent his culture to all cultures around the world. And if we have global mission in our hearts, we are therefore likely to be somewhere within the ballpark of his will and calling. Not inevitably, um, it's obviously a little simplistic to say what I've just said, as some travel in order to escape from things, and others because they find it easier in other cultures to gain respect and influence and thus appease their own insecurities. We're not talking about that. But when the church looks at calling, how to do cross-cultural mission, I often, usually in fact, find what I call the Cluedo gene kicks in. Practically, we think of calling in terms of what we do, where we do it, and who we do it with, rather like a Cluedo-style whodunit. So not so much we are called to work with lead piping in the library with Colonel Mustard. (laughs) But maybe we are called to build latrines in Burkina Faso with Tear Fund or to plant churches in Paraguay with Latin Link. What we do, where to do it, and who to do it with. So firstly and ultimately, I hope you agree with me, our calling is actually to a relationship, a relationship with God, uh, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Uh, Philippians 3 verse 14, Paul said, I press on toward uh, toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. But clearly Paul also tussled with these practical Cluedo questions as well. What to do, uh, where to do it, and who to do it with. When can I come and see you, he said. What can I impart when I am with you, he said. Who shall I bring with me when I come, he said. So practically, how does a church work out together what, where, and with whom God has called them to work. What is the mission strategy of your church? A question I love to ask pastors um, around the world. So three simple uh, questions or values for you to consider this morning. These are three aspects of mission that I personally find very attractive, indeed essential, uh, which is why I have so enjoyed my role in managing raising families. The 
First is this. Is the mission we are seeking to support kingdom-based? Secondly, is the mission we are seeking to support integral or holistic? And thirdly, is the mission we are seeking to support sustainable? So the first one first, is it kingdom-based? Do you know, maybe we could ask the question slightly differently and say even, is it community-based? And, and I'll explain what I mean. Does it give itself away for the sake of its community? Or, and I'm going to say some quite tough things today, or is it a mechanism purely to build up itself? Sadly, many churches have lost sight of why God has placed them in their communities, which is to be salt and light to a broken world, and have sold out to a vision of building their own sanctuaries, even a word we use. So many pastors ask for funds to build their church building or buy new chairs or a new minibus, etc. But I want to know what is he doing and why does he need these things? So after the Raising Families training in Central Asia, uh, one pastor said to me, I used to have a vision for a bigger church. Now I've got a vision for a better community. And I dwelt on that, and I would seek that you do the same. It's a really interesting uh, concept. as a, a slight shift in their values and their thinking. And is the ministry you're being asked to support already functioning, albeit with limited funds? This is what I mean. People would say, I have a vision for a health clinic. Uh, we're praying for $100,000. Well, are you already uh, visiting the sick? Are you already helping to take people to hospitals? Are you engaging with the health authorities? None of these actually require serious funding. Or maybe they'll say, I have a vision to build a school. Well, are you researching your country's education system? Are you training children and families already through maybe informal structures and through your church? Because I'd much prefer supporting someone like that who is already having a go than I would someone who just has a random dream and remains on the starting line waiting for a magic pot of funds. Such people remind me of a child in the steering wheel of their father's parked car. It's, it's all brrrm and no movement. And is he or, or are they part of a network? Are they part of a broader, wider pastor's affiliate? Or is he a lone ranger? Is he or are they a kingdom builder or an empire builder? To whom is he accountable? Does he have proper legal framework and trusteeship? in which to manage the resources that generous Christians are giving him. And too many times I've seen terrible problems caused by naive Western believers flinging money for a building project at a charismatic individual with no registration or robust financial structures and accountability. And all the donations, oh, well, they go through his own bank account, the building is built, then he argues with and leaves the church, and lays an aggressive personal claim to the ownership of the building. Brothers and sisters, this sort of behavior is not fitting for the kingdom of God. But with a little wisdom, it should have never happened in the first place. Secondly, is it 
integral? Is it holistic? What I mean by this is really that Christendom over the past hundred years or so has often been so polarized. The evangelicals have only highlighted the need for evangelism and the liberals or the activists have only highlighted the need for social action and the Pentecostals and the Charismatics have only highlighted the need for signs and wonders. And somehow we've lurched along with this siloed approach for generations. But around the world, I see a wholesale disillusionment with this fragmented approach, both within the church and, more importantly, within those who look to the church for answers. And I'm convinced that the Holy Spirit is stirring many and this really is, in many different cultures around the world, a huge privilege I have to visit so many, that the Holy Spirit is stirring many to see the need for our mission to become more integral or holistic. So does what you are seeking to support aim to proclaim, to demonstrate, and to manifest the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because I believe this is the way forward. Word works and wonders. And then thirdly, big question, is the work that you're seeking to support sustainable? Does this work equip and empower others, enable them to become the masters of their own destiny and give them the tools for lasting transformation? Does it give the power and the ownership away? Or does it tightly control the programs and resources that it offers? If so, it might complete projects, and by all accounts, complete them well. But it will see little in terms of lasting transformation and sustainability. So many missions are set up to do things for people or give things to people. Ladies and gentlemen, this is not sustainable. It does little more than scratch the back of the donor. There is, of course, a right, proper time and place for aid and in terms of emergency or disaster relief, for example, for people's survival. But I think generally, sweeping statement again, but we tend to put maybe 80% of our efforts into giving aid and maybe only 20% into the development of people to support themselves. And I would suggest to you and think that we should aim to at least reverse these statistics, to only actually give things away when it's absolutely essential and have to have a fresh look at that. So Raising Families has resisted all pressure to give things away. Rather, we encourage people to see what they already have, and how, when working as a team in the community, that they can maximise these assets to the community's benefit. Rather like God asking Moses in Exodus 4, what have you got in your hand? Do you remember what it was? A staff. And what did it become? A snake. That's right. Or like Elisha said to the widow in 2 Kings 4, hence the scripture reading this morning, what have you got already in your house? And then the boy with the loaves and the fishes we also just about heard from, and Peter at the beautiful gate, New Testament examples of the same approach. Peter saying, 
look, I haven't got what you're asking for, but what I have, I share with you. Same as the boy with the loaves and the fish. So even those who feel that they're at the very bottom of the pile actually have more assets or resources than they realize, such as time and access, knowledge, land, contacts. So to mobilize them in the use of the resources that God has already given them gives them dignity and self-worth. Sustainability. I delight to report that a global survey of all the past Raising Families programs, 18 months, a minimum of 18 months after their completion, we found that for every 100 churches we had envisioned and mobilized, there were now 158 churches demonstrating the values and the processes and the practices of the pro that the program seeks to establish. And those additional churches have probably never heard of Samaritan's Purse, and I'm really glad. Rather, they're just caught up in a groundswell of the growing kingdom of God. So from time to time, I have had donors asking if my employers would consider either setting up or supporting an existing orphanage in wherever. They speak of the dire need in the town. They've just got back. They've seen the street homeless children who they've personally seen and wept over. Surely a Christian orphanage is the answer. After initial build costs, they've worked out it will take X amount to maintain each year, plus inflation, of course. And although this really isn't mentioned and possibly even thought about, and forever, year after year after year. In fact, over time, it will become a bottomless pit for the donor whose only way out is to end the support and feel like it's let the children down. It is not sustainable. It really is a tough message to explain. And maybe I will only be invited once. <laughs> but actually what we are much more likely to do is to work towards the de-institutionalization and the dismantling of orphanages. I'm convinced and have seen that it is the equipping and restoring of biological families and foster care structures that are far more likely to succeed than any institutional or, or orphanage, however well run. I spent this last week uh, with one such agency in Kyrgyzstan, Central Asia, who have worked on this basis for 18 years. The young couple who started this work were so successful at effectively restoring street homeless children to their own parents and grandparents and establishing a foster care structure for those children for whom it was impossible to return home. That even though they are young Christians in an oppressive, male-dominated Islamic culture, the national government invited them to assist in the development um, of a foster care structure for the whole country. Uh, so this approach and is a really tough challenge. Um, requires skills and a long-term commitment, but it reaps generational, transformational, sustainable rewards rather than perpetuating a system which is at best a sticking plaster for the real needs of the community. So thank you so much for bearing with me um, with some 
tough messaging, really. I think probably that's all we have time for today. So is it kingdom, or if you like, community-based? Is it integral or holistic in its mission? And is it sustainable? Tough things to contend with, but I commend you to the mercy and grace of God. May I pray for you as a congregation before I sit down again? Father, we do want to thank you so much for your merciful and powerful presence with us this morning. Lord, help us in our hearts to bow down and to raise you up. Father, I pray that you'd help us to be compassionate, wholehearted and intelligent about our approach to these things, to rise to be responsible citizens of the kingdom of heaven, to know how to initiate and to respond, to listen well, to speak in a timely way, to act, to serve, to step back, to allow, to empower in our own community. And then may, as you develop these values within us, as you clothe us with your Holy Spirit, as you grow us up as individuals and as a community, Lord, may we be able to reflect those values in the things that we serve around the world, that we might partner in a way that gives you pleasure, that glorifies you and seeks for the building of your kingdom. In the name of Jesus.